Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. chapter 19, and I want to read in various places throughout this chapter. I don't want just to read an exorbitant amount of Scripture, but maybe we can, through the preaching, connect all of the dots here this morning. But I want to begin with this familiar text with verse 1, and it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? That tells me right there that every believer, every person, this is a promise that they not only can receive, but according to this, and many other scriptures and witnesses that we have in the Word of God should receive. We emphasize receiving the Holy Ghost, not just as an added blessing, but as a part of our salvation. And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? And they said unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, The Holy Ghost came upon them. You might ask, how did they know it? Well, the next phrase explains. It says, and they spake with tongues. And they spake with tongues. When you receive the Holy Ghost, that's the evidence that you've received the Holy Ghost. I've heard a lot of people describe, uh, you know, when you ask them, do you have the Holy Ghost? Yes, I I got the Holy Ghost. I had this warm sensation come upon me. Well, that's... That's good, and that's, that may be a manifestation uh, of the presence of God moving upon your life, but that is not the evidence that the Holy Ghost has came into your life or that you've been baptized in the Holy Ghost. But the Bible tells us here that when they were baptized in the Holy Ghost, that they spake with tongues and prophesied. We'll resume reading in verse 23. And the same time there arose, and at and at the same time there arose no small stir about the people, for a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana. Diana was a goddess of the Ephesian people, brought no small gain unto the craftsmen, whom he called together called an assembly of all of these that worked in the same craft with the workmen of like occupation and said, Sirs, 
you know that by this craft we have our wealth. Moreover, you see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, but all, almost throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands. So that not only this, our craft is in danger to be set at nod, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. And when they heard this saying, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And I want you to notice there in verse 29 what it says, And the whole city was filled with confusion. And the whole city was filled with confusion. In verse 32, Some therefore cried one thing and some another. That's the definition of confusion, isn't it? For the assembly was confused. And the more part knew not wherefore they were come together. Verse 29 says the whole city was confused. And then it says the assembly was confused in verse 32. And I, I, want, to, I want to make reference to this passage of scripture there in verse 23. In the same time, there arose no small stir about the way. And I just want to preach with the Lord's help for the next little bit here today. No small stir. No small stir. I want the Holy Ghost to stir us. I want. How many come for the Holy Ghost? I hope you didn't come to be entertained hope you didn't come for a performance here this morning. I hope you didn't enter into this house, this church, expecting to be moved by men's words or to be moved by music or anything else that may transpire here today. But I pray that you came and gathered in the house of the Lord for the express purpose of hearing from God and the Lord ministering to you and touching your life. If you're hungry, I want you to raise your hands and your hearts to God. And I want you to allow the Lord to speak to you today. Oh, God, open my heart that I can receive. Open my heart that I may hear. Open my heart that I may know. God, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us today through your word. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. As we examine this amazing story from the scripture and I'm certain most of you that have been around apostolic church settings for any period of time have heard preaching from this particular text talking about Paul and his engagement with these disciples of John the Baptist that were found in Ephesus. This story begins with a question and a confrontation. On one side of this confrontation is, of course, an apostolic preacher. He was not, as many know, preachers today. He did not have an ornate pulpit. 
He did not have a cathedral that he preached in each Sunday. He did not have the appearance of a man of renown or personal charisma to boast of. In fact, he did not wear expensive clothes. Rather, he was a nondescript, plain and common individual. In fact, uh, we know from our reading of the scripture and piecing parts of it together that he was slightly bent in stature and perhaps had squinty eyes because of the challenges that he had with his vision. So he was not an imposing figure at all. But I can tell you that he was an anointed man of God. He was a servant of the Most High. He was not a man who spake to impress. He was not a man that spake so that someone could leave and say what a profound educated man that he is. But a man that spoke the truth that God had placed in his heart. And he spake these things so that he may reach a confused and lost generation of humanity. His philosophy and his preaching was quite different from others of the day. In fact, he said things like this. My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. In other words, he was not eloquent. He did not have a large vocabulary. He did not try to win favor, but he did endeavor with all that was within him to reach a soul. His philosophy, you can read about it. He said that your faith should not be or should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I don't want you to be impressed with me. I don't want you to be impressed with my leadership abilities. And I don't want you to be impressed with my speaking prowess. But I want you to be impressed with the power of God. He was saying, man cannot help you. Religion will leave you empty. Dogmas and creeds and things of religion sometimes can leave you searching for more. But my God has all power. My God, he was saying, has all wisdom. He has all authority. He has all dominion. He essentially said, I'm not going to give you the wisdom of men, but I am recommending to you the power of God. Amen. I'm not going to recommend to you the princes of this world, the elites of society, but I can unequivocally tell you that you need the power of the Holy Ghost in your life. That is what is going to make the difference. So Paul poses a question here, a question that has been looked at from many scholars uh, throughout the years. He said, have you received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? Since ye believed. One of the fruits of a believer is that you would walk in the Spirit of Christ. One of the fruits of a believer is that you would speak in tongues as the Holy Ghost gives the utterance. So if you're a believer, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? Now, I know that people have their opinions about uh, perhaps how Paul came to this knowledge 
or asked this question. But this was a man, you must understand, that was very discerning. And it's my opinion that when he approached these people and spoke to them, these disciples of John the Baptist, that he discerned that they had not experienced, that they had not received the gift of the Holy Ghost. You say, how was he able to discern that? Was he able to look at them? Was he able to just speak with them a little bit and something about their countenance or their personality revealed this? Well, I do believe that the Holy Ghost shows up on the countenance of a person. I do believe that it changes the walk and the conversation and the talk of an individual. But more than that, Paul had the Holy Ghost himself. And he was able to discern. He was able to discern spirits. And the Bible tells us that he asked them the question. He said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And notice their reply. These disciples of John the Baptist. Now you must understand John the Baptist has been gone for a long time by this point. Yet they responded with this statement. We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Well, my first reaction to that, and I've preached this many times, is where in the world have you fellas been? I mean, this I could understand if you made this kind of a statement in Acts chapter 3 or Acts chapter 5, or maybe even a little further down the line. But we're now in Acts chapter 19. And I know that everything in the book of Acts is not in chronological order necessarily. The first portion of the book of Acts deals with the life of Peter and his ministry. And the last portion of the book of Acts deals with the life of the Apostle Paul and his ministry. And so we understand that not everything is necessarily in chronological order, but I think I'm theologically on safe ground when I say that it's now been many years since John the Baptist was alive and the leader of these men, and there's a lot of things that has transpired in this space of time. First of all, they did not hear the message of their own leader, evidently, who said, I must decrease so that he can increase. And so they're still holding on to John. And they had some way missed the miracle ministry of Jesus, who preached the miracles of Jesus Christ, or preached the miracles and demonstrated the miracles in his ministry. And so they, they had missed all of those things. And, and uh, some way or another, they were not cognizant. And this was not something that convinced them that they needed to embrace the message of Jesus Christ. Some way or another, they had missed the day of Pentecost and the preaching of the Apostle Peter who preached Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. They had missed that. They had missed what he went on to say, for this promise is unto you and to your children and all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. They had missed the outpourings of the Holy Ghost that took place just a few chapters after that where the Bible says that 5,000 people received the gift of the Holy There was 3,000 on the day of Pentecost and 5,000 just a little while later. This that was sweeping Jerusalem some way evaded them and they were not cognizant of it. 
That's amazing to me. That's amazing to me that some way they missed all of this. Maybe it was because they were holding on to something in the past. They didn't want to let go of something in the past so that they could embrace what God was doing in the present. Maybe they were holding something as far as tradition was concerned. Maybe they were holding on to something in their life that they could not let go of. But for whatever reason, when Paul asked them the question, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? They said we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And I suppose we could put all the blame upon them. But uh, let's also take a little responsibility here as a church. Maybe the church in some way or another had not reached out beyond its comfortable borders and touch the lives of these men. I don't know what they were doing in this specific area uh, in the upper coast uh, there in the region of uh, Ephesus, but uh, it seems like that's a long ways away from Jerusalem for these people to be found. But nevertheless, for whatever reason, the gospel had not reached them. This reminds me that you and I have a huge responsibility that everybody hear the gospel preached to them, that everybody have an opportunity, that everybody receive a chance I'm so thankful for the grace that God has shown me I'm so thankful that God afforded me the opportunity to hear the truth that God gave me the opportunity to receive this wonderful gift of the Holy Ghost that his promise has been fulfilled in my life but I also realize that there's a dark world out there where a lot of people have never seen the light of the gospel of God's truth they never had the opportunity they never received the chance They've never gotten the Holy Ghost. They've never had the promise fulfilled in their life. And I want them to have an opportunity at this truth. Come on, let's clap our hands and give some praise unto the Lord today. And there's a probability even in this house, which is really the first response that I want to talk about. There's the probability in this house that someone has never heard that the Holy Ghost is for you. That the Holy Ghost is not just for those back there in the book of Acts. It was not just for an exclusive group of people back there in antiquity when the church started as some people claim that that was just a a sign that was just something to kind of crank start the church and get things going. Oh, no. The same power that started the church is the same power that keeps it going. The same power that it began with is the same power that it takes for it to continue. Amen. We don't operate outside of the Spirit of God. We're nothing without the power of God. We believe that he is the the vine and we are the branches. And it's only through the spirit of God being transferred to us and his anointing that we have any power. That we're able to see anything of good happen. Matter of fact, it's all in vain here today if the spirit of God doesn't show up. If the Holy Ghost is not allowed to move. If some way we can't yield to the presence of God, we'll never see a miracle. We'll never 
see revival. We'll never experience the glory of the Lord. We'll never see lives change. If he doesn't show up, there isn't much that's going to happen here today. Oh, but let me tell you, if he does have an opportunity to step into this house, if somebody does yield to him, if somebody does surrender to him, if by chance somebody does cry out to him, he has the power to change your life. He has the power to totally eradicate sin. He has the power to revive and restore and breathe life into somebody's life. Hallelujah. Come on, let's give him praise right now. He said, for this promise is unto you, Acts 2.39. Amen. And when the apostle Paul, the Bible says, laid hands upon them. First of all, he said, you folks got to be baptized right. We got to correct this situation. John baptized under repentance. That was an act of obedience for then. But you need to have your sins remitted. And the only way your sins can be remitted is to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. That's what the Bible says. That's what the Apostle Peter, the, the key holder of the New Testament, preached on the day of Pentecost. Amen. Is that you, you, you must be repent and be baptized. It was unequivocal. He, he didn't leave any room for error there. He didn't leave any room for mistakes there. He didn't, he didn't leave a back door for somebody uh, to get away from it. No, he told them they needed to repent first of all. Amen. Because uh, uh, it's no use in being baptized if you don't come to an altar of repentance. There's no use in us taking you to the waters of baptism if you've not repented of your sins. It's like the old man told me one time. He said, we're going out here to preach. We're going to preach to these men that are in the jail. He said, there's some of them want to be baptized, but I feel like preaching repentance tonight because I'm going to tell those fellas that if they haven't repented, all we're doing is getting you wet. And that's the truth. The only thing that's happening is you're getting wet if you haven't repented of your sins. But there's something powerful that happens if you've repented. Your sins can be remitted when you go down in the waters of baptism in Jesus' name. Somebody said in Jesus' name. Oh, we didn't say it loud enough. Say it in Jesus' name. Amen. And then he laid hands on them, and the Holy Ghost came on them. I'm believing the Holy Ghost is going to come on some folks here this morning. A Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Holy Ghost is for you. Don't let anybody convince you that it's not for you. It's still being poured out. We've got a house full of people here today that can uh, testify and tell you that it's still happening. The miracle is still taking place. Matter of fact, that's the greatest miracle that can happen in anybody's life. I'm thankful for healing. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for other miracles of provision. I'm thankful for the miracles of protection. I'm, I'm thankful for all these miracles that we testify about. That's awesome. That's wonderful. But I'm going to tell you, it's a miracle when somebody is so bound by sin and they come into the church house and they run to an altar and say, you know what? I won't free from this. I don't want to be this person anymore. I don't want to live like this any longer. And God fills him with the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's the greatest miracle that can happen in anybody's life. If you got it, you ought to shout about it. If you got it, you ought to worship. 
But I want you to notice something here. This, this right here is what I call the second response that takes place. We notice it. I didn't read them earlier, but I want to read these verses of Scripture, 8 and 9. It says, And he went into the synagogue, spe- speaking of the Apostle Paul, and spake boldly for the space of three months. So we understand this whole process, this revival that was taking place here in Ephesus was not something that was just a few nights of crusade, but this was something that happened over a period of time. And he spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. And when diverse were hardened, different people were hardened, and believed not, but spake evil of what that way before the multitude. Spoke evil of that way before the multitude and departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of Tyrannius. So, what are you saying here? I'm telling you that these particular people responded not with reception, not with hunger, not with an attitude, if that's the word of God, then I'll receive it. Not with an attitude that I, I, I realize that you have shown me the way more perfectly and I open my heart to it. But they become defensive and they began to debate and dispute with the preaching of Paul. That's what the Bible says. And they did this for a long period of time. And, and they began to try to find a loophole. Began to try to... to uh, dispute and to debate the word of God. Now you understand that Paul was no slouch. You understand that he was a very educated person when it came to the law. This man had memorized, uh, I read somewhere, to, to fit in with the uh, group that Gamaliel, to sit in the school of Gamaliel, to even qualify for the school of Gamaliel, that one had to memorize uh, much of uh, the Old Testament, particularly the Pentateuch, had to, to memorize, had to know backwards and forwards the law of God. And this was a man that was very learned in these things. He was very educated in these things. And so he, he, they were not debating with a slouch. They were not debating with somebody who didn't know what he was talking about. And uh, they, they began to dispute. But you know what? It doesn't matter how much... Uh, you have in your arsenal, it doesn't matter how right uh, that you are, if somebody doesn't want to receive the Word of God, you're wasting your breath debating with them. You're wasting your breath uh, uh, spending a lot of time in dispute. If they're not open and yielded to the Spirit of God, speaking to them through His Word, then they're, they're not going to receive it. Uh, but there's one thing that I note here, that while these were saying this is not necessary, while these were saying uh, that what he's preaching is not right, uh, while these were saying uh, that uh, we, we can't allow this to happen in our city, that we've got a pretty good thing going here, 
as we all are a part of the church of Diana and we worship the goddess Diana and her temple is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. We got a pretty we got a pretty good thing happening here in the city of Ephesus. We don't want any disruption. We don't want any preacher coming in here in here and destroying our economy and and tearing down anything as far as what we've got set up is our society and the way that we're living. But there was a hunger among these Ephesians that those that were in control as it were could not stop. There was a hunger within these Ephesians that said I'm, I'm, I'm reaching for, for I, I've been to the temple Diana. I, I have been in this city and lived under the influence of this city and its worship all of these years but it's not changed my life. I'm still just as empty as I've ever been. I'm still just as, just as hurting on the inside as I ever was. Amen. I'm dealing with more pain than I've ever dealt with. I got more questions than I have answers. There's got to be something more. And Paul began to preach and one after another converts began to, to be made and people began to turn their life to the Lord and it was disruptive to this community. It was something that began to, to cause alarm among the city leaders as they said we're losing control. We're no longer going to be able to control these people and so so he he continues to teach them and preach to them and stand for the word of God but I want you to notice here what happens in verse 10 and this continued by the space of two years so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus both Jews and Greeks and God wrought special miracles by the hand of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. The Bible tells us that great miracles begin to happen. Healing begin to take place. Yea, even deliverances. People that had evil spirits. Can you imagine because of all the pagantry and the witchcraft and the worship to the goddess Diana and we could go into defining what that is but you talk about debauched. You talk about totally uh, lasciviousness on parade. You talk about immorality right there in the temple of the goddess Diana was on display anytime these people gathered together in worship. Matter of fact, it is so gross and so far out that I would be ashamed to speak about it in mixed company. I'm just telling you, it was way out there. These people were bound by these evil spirits. They had spirits of immorality. They had spirits man, that they needed to be delivered of, that they were in curious arts and witchcraft. We find it wasn't too long during in this revival that they took books that they had and burned them and gave them up and they were very expensive books that told them how to delve into their witchcraft. All of these things were happening. You think there weren't some people that was upset at the Apostle Paul and his preaching because it was destroying the works of the devil in that city. It was coming against evil in high places in that city. I'm going to tell you that's what a real revival does is it's able to come against evil in high places. That's what a real revival does. It exposes evil in high places. 
Well, I'm going to preach this morning. I said, I'm going to preach this morning. I told you this passage parallels where we're at in this world. I don't care how high up it is. I don't care what it claims. Amen. If it's not of God, it's not of God. I don't care how much kind of influence it has. If it's not of God, it's not of God. Amen. The kingdoms of this world, they're all going to bow. And they're all going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Come on, let's give some praise unto him right now. But you know, when these miracles started happening, when deliverance was wrought, when, when people's lives started to be changed, that was something that couldn't be disputed. That was something that couldn't be argued with. We may be able to argue with you over some words on a scroll, but we can't argue with the demonstration and the power of the Holy Ghost. We can't argue with the manifestation of the glory of God in our city. We can't argue with what's happening and the results that has taken place. We can clearly see that God is anointing and God is blessing and revive. Bible is coming. That's what we need. I said we need. We need less debating. And we need less disputing. And we need more of the demonstration and the power of the Holy Ghost in our midst. If you believe that, why don't you raise your hands and let's give him praise right now. Oh, yeah. When they begin to see these miracles, they couldn't argue with that. Kind of reminds me of John chapter 9 when the blind boy was healed. And they first, the, the Pharisees first went to the parents of the boy. Said, can you explain this? How is this happening? By what power is he doing this? Talking about the Lord healing this young man. Opening up his eyes. Notice. What they said, they, they kind of deferred a little bit, didn't they? They said, oh, he's of age, ask him. They put it off on him. And when they went to the boy, he said, whether he is a sinner or no, I know not. But one thing I know, that whereas I was blind, do you understand that I was walking around, grabbling around, trying to find my way, but now I see do you understand? I can't argue with that. I, I can't tell you how theologically it all happened. I can't really explain it all to you. But I, I can tell you that I felt some power. I felt some healing power, virtue come from the Lord. I felt something very strong come from the Lord. Amen. And it healed me. And I once was blind, but now I see. Can't argue with experience. You cannot dispute experience. Experience leaves no room for debate. However, the more God moved in this particular passage, the more God performed miracles, the more revival that broke out, the more God worked. Guess what? The enemy resisted. Verse 23. Our text verse, it says, and at the same time there arose no small stir. Now, for all those folks that think it's got to be perfect for God to move, there's a verse that refutes that. For everybody that says everything's got to be situated and in perfect order for God to work and to bring miracles and, and uh, for us to have revival and for us to have a move of God, the Bible said at the same time the enemy was going crazy. 
the same time that there was those that were disputing, there was those that were raising up and trying to influence in a negative fashion. There were those that were trying to sow discord and disunity and trying their very best to fight the work of God and the revival that the Lord was pouring out on the church or the beginnings of the church at Ephesus. The Bible says at the same time there was no small stir. Amen. There was a move of God that was happening. All the while there was resistance. All the while there was those that were fighting. There was also a God that was moving and blessing and working and sending revival to these people. Amen. God doesn't have to have everybody in perfect line for us to have a move of God. Now, I want you to understand, I'm not dismissing anything. We, we preach and we believe and we're, we're endeavoring to do things right. Amen. We're endeavoring to teach and preach the Word of God without fear or without favor. But I, I want to tell you, just because somebody doesn't get their ducks in a row, it ain't going to keep you from being blessed. It ain't going to keep you from getting your prayer answered. Just because somebody doesn't want to live for God it's not going to hinder those that do want to live for God just because somebody else wants to be carnal it's not going to hinder the church that wants to be righteous it's not going to hinder the church that wants to have revival sometimes we fixate on a few deadheads that don't want to live for God and we allow them to cheat us out of a blessing and out of a move of God and the promises of God being fulfilled if you never get on board you're not going to stop this train we're going to have revival we're going to have a move of God we're going to see the Lord bless. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Demetrius was the leader of this crew. A silversmith who made silver shrines unto the goddess Diana. Little intricate things made out of silver that were a part of their worship and they would bring to the temple. And again, I can't get into all of the serious sin that was going on and surrounded that place. And he said, he said, I'm going to gather up the union of silver workers here. He said, sirs, I don't have to tell you, you know that by this craft we have our wealth. This revival is getting in our pocketbook. This move of God is getting close to where we're living. <laughs> this is changing our way of life. Hello? Isn't that what a real experience with God is supposed to do? Is cause you to turn away from your sin and have the power to walk in newness of life? Hello, isn't that what the church is about is seeing lives not continue the same but change? Hallelujah. The devil's number one tool we're seeing displayed in this particular passage with Demetrius, the silversmith. I, I want to read to you about it here in verses 28 and 29. The Bible says, And when they heard these things, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And the whole city was filled with confusion. Why? Because Demetrius was trying uh, to stop or shut down this revival because he was concerned about his own finances. 
I'm going to tell you, those that cause division, those that cause confusion, they're profiting from it. There's a reason why they are trying or striving to cause confusion and division is because it's getting too close to where they're living. And it's bringing, it's bringing uh, pressure upon them that they're going to have to change their way or their style, their manner of living. You know, say praise the Lord. And the devil's number one tool to stop revival has always been confusion. Confusion. Verse 32 says, Some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused. Some cried one thing and somebody else was crying another. There was all kinds of voices pontificating about their opinions on things. None of them were spiritual. None of them were of God. There was one lone voice that was preaching the truth in that city that was filled with wickedness and that was the anointed voice of the apostle Paul. There was one man that was standing and preaching along beside these other apostles that eventually gathered there with him and those converts that he was managed to convert in that city. And before this story is over with, just in case you're wondering, one of the largest churches I read somewhere over 20,000 converts, 20,000 member church in Ephesus was established and it started with one question. Have you received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? Have you received? I'm going to tell you the Holy Ghost is still the answer. I said the Holy Ghost is still the answer for those that are steeped in tradition, for those that are bound by sin, for those that are following after false truths and false teachers. The Holy Ghost is still the answer. That's what clears the mind. That's what brings about stability. That's what eradicates confusion is the Holy Ghost. Bible talks about the Holy Ghost being peace. I'm going to tell you, perfect peace comes when you get the Holy Ghost. When you get the Holy Ghost, there's not this torment on the inside. There's not this pulling back and forth. There's not this one over here saying one thing and this one over here saying another and you feeling somewhere in the middle but you know, you know I've got an experience that is real. It's the Holy Ghost and power. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. People. People have things, amen, pulling on them. One pulling one way and another. The Lord could easily take care of the addiction, the immorality, the false teaching, all of those things. But the devil, he uses in these last days a very crafty tool and weapon, and it's his favorite. And that is confusion. Confusion. It's abounding. These, these Ephesians, again, were involved in lust and lasciviousness and immorality to the nth degree. And they were trying to act religious over, right over the top of it. They were trying to act like nobody knew it. And, and it was, it was, it, but it was a part of what they were doing behind closed doors right in the temple of God, the goddess Diana. Amen. It was, it was, it was so, it was so uh, debauched and it was so sacrilege. It would literally blow your mind. But that wasn't anything 
anything that intimidated the Spirit of God. That wasn't anything that hindered the work of God. That could easily, that could easily be confronted. That could easily be dealt with. So the devil comes and tries to confuse. And how does he do it? This man of influence by the name of Demetrius, he says, you do realize that if you are persuaded by the preaching of Paul and you follow after the teachings of the Apostle Paul and the Word of God and you receive the Holy Ghost, you do know what you're going to have to give up, don't you? You do know you won't be able to continue to live like you've always lived and do what you've always done. And you won't always be able to be the person that you've you've actively been in the past. And that is exactly the spirit of confusion that tries to come upon people that are coming to God and God is dealing with in this day and hour that you and I are living in. He tries to convince them that they'll be deprived if they get the Holy Ghost. They, they, they won't be able to have fun in anymore if they get the Holy Ghost. They won't be able to have joy anymore if they get the Holy Ghost. There's so much that you have to give up to live for God. Your way of life will have to change. You won't be able to run with the same friends. You won't be able to laugh at the same jokes. You won't be entertained by the same things. You won't have the same conversation. You won't run with the same people. Yes, maybe that's so, but if you ever tasted of the Holy Ghost, if you ever experience the power of the Holy the devil knows that's why he's resisting you that's why he's telling you there's so much you have to give up to live for God oh but if you could only see the purchase if you could only see the reward if you only knew the relationship with God and the power that comes with having the Holy Ghost you'd say gladly gladly I give it up amen this is something better than anything this world has to offer the world can't hold a light to this experience that I have in God I'm so thankful that I got the Holy Ghost why don't you stand to your feet with me right now let's lift up our voices and give praise to the Lord that spirit of confusion comes and said well look how could everybody else be so wrong if what you're preaching, preacher, is right? Can I remind you of what the Bible says? Because this is what's going to judge us. Let me, listen, let me remind you, this is what's going to judge us. It tells me there was eight souls that got on that ark. There was eight souls. So the majority hasn't always been right. I said the majority has not always. There was just a handful that got out of Sodom. The majority has not always been right. But there were some people, there was remnants that God always raised up that said, I want to live for him. I want to serve him. I want to do the will of God. I want to be obedient to his word. And I just wonder if I might be preaching to somebody. You, you're in this place today. You know what you felt. You know what you've experienced. You know how God has spoke to your heart. You know, amen, what the Word of God says. Maybe we could have the courage today to act on it and say, God, I want to be drawn by your Spirit to take it a step further. 
I want you to lead me. I want to receive this wonderful experience of the Holy Ghost. Maybe you're here and it's been a long time since you've been renewed in the Holy Ghost. I'm going to tell you, the Holy Ghost is not something that you just get and you look back and say, well, I'm so thankful that many years ago I received it and that's it and that's all I got and that's all I can expect. No, that's not how it works. But as often as you come in need of the strength of God, as often as you come in need of direction and help and guidance in your life, you can be renewed and refreshed in the Spirit of the Lord again. I wonder right now if there's somebody that either for the first time or maybe there's someone here that wants to be renewed in the Holy Ghost, but you would step out of your pew, make your way to this altar and say, God, I yield to you. I'm going to tell you, I don't want to live in a confused state of mind. I don't want to let voices of this world speak to me and convince me and try to deprive me of the promises of God. But some way or another, I want to get past all of that. And I want you to move upon me. And I want you to change me. And I want you to work in my life because there must be much more than just getting by and just scratching out an existence and just going from church service to church service. But there's got to be power. There's got to be anointing. There's got to be a move of the Spirit that is deeper. Is there anyone that is hungry for that? Is there anybody that desires that? Is there anybody that wants more of Him? Why don't you come to this altar? Why don't you come down to this front? Uh, Amen. I'm asking anybody and all that desires, uh, amen, and hungers for a move of the Spirit of God to come and together around this altar reach out to the Lord and seek the face of God hallelujah I love you Jesus I praise you and worship you I exalt you I magnify you I give thanks to you God you're so wonderful you're so beautiful to me I'm praying God for your help I'm praying God for your strength and your delivering power you're able to quell the confusion in people